I'm Rihanna Dillon. This is Guru Live, coming to you from BAFTA's headquarters in Piccadilly. As part of our Games Day, we invited audio designer Adam Hay to talk about his work on the haunting soundtrack of BAFTA-winning game Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. The event was hosted by BAFTA Breakthrough Brit Jessica Saunders. Here's Jessica. So perhaps you want to tell the audience a little bit about how you went from Rare to the Chinese Room and how that started. Yeah, so um, actually before I worked at Rare, um, my first job in the industry was with uh, Traveller's Tales, um, making uh, Lego Star Wars and Lego Batman. Um, And I kind of... uh, I, I, that was like, when, 2007, so quite a, quite a few years ago now. Um, and sort of getting into the industry for me, um, I sort of came from a musical background. I did music technology at university um, and sort of came away with a degree from that. And, and then I was like, well, I like games and I like doing sound. So, you know, is there a way to make these two things go together? Um, and I was very, very, very fortunate to land a position at Traveller's Tales uh, as sort of, uh, sort of junior sound designer, um, doing a lot of uh, sort of dialogue editing, implementation, you know, sort of low-level stuff, but sort of getting getting involved with things, getting to grips with projects. Um, and from there, I moved to um, uh, you know after a few years of, of, of making Lego games, uh, I moved on to Frontier. Um, working on Kinect games with Microsoft, so I did a lot of uh, a lot of the sounds in Kinectimals. I don't know if you've seen or played Kinectimals or heard of it. Um, it's got a very cute tiger cub, very cute lion cubs in it. Um, also worked on uh, Kinect Disneyland Adventures there as well, um, and then moved on to Rare to work on Kinect Sports Rivals, more Kinect games. Um, and then I was very, very fortunate uh, that the Chinese room were looking for a sound designer um, to help with uh, getting everybody's gone to the rapture completed or made in the first place. Um, so I, uh, I, I joined them, uh, it would have been September 2013. So yeah, almost, almost two years ago now. <laughs> um, and... When I started working there, uh, it was just, uh, it was a really small team, you know, we, we had a really small team. I started with uh, the VFX designer, uh, a couple of environment artists, um, and the game was, I, don't, I hope, hopefully everyone's familiar with everybody's gone to the rapture in the game and has maybe played it or played some of it or seen, you know, seen enough of it to sort of know what the, what the, the game is. <laughs> um, but yeah, when we when we started, the concept was was there, but it was it was still not like what it was now. It was it was still you know the the, the main characters were there. The idea that it was you know set in Shropshire, end of the world set in Shropshire was there. The idea it was going to be a narrative focused game, but how we got to where we where we ended up, I guess. Um, was sort of a really interesting, a really long process of, of iteration, um, you know, trying different things out, the whole team being involved together and making those decisions um, and, and bringing something, you know, that really, really, really different but and, and really focused to life. So how did you go about actually sort of beginning the audio journey? So because you were pretty much the sole sound designer on this project, obviously there was Jessica Currier dealing with the music, but... 
when you come into the beginning of a project and nothing is essentially set in stone and you've just got this world to play with, um, what was your kind of starting point for working out the feel for the audio, um, how you were going to implement the audio, that sort of work? So, yeah, I mean, um, when, like when, I, when I joined the company, there was a very... There was a clear sort of theme for the game. There was a clear mood that, uh, that both uh, Dan Penchbeck and Jessica Curry sort of wanted to, wanted to achieve. Um, you know, there was the influence from um, Threads, which is a uh, film about a nuclear attack on Sheffield. Um, and it's like, it's the most traumatizing thing they made is all watch it. <laughs> it's such a, it's just a, it's a really, you know, it's a difficult film to sit through. And they were like, we want to evoke this kind of, this feeling of, of, of the individual stories of people um, sort of in, in a completely supernatural scenario. Um, there was also a lot of influence from uh, The Returned, I think, Les, Les, yeah. Les Revenants. Yep. I don't know. Um, but it's uh, sort of that, that, um, that sort of dreamlike sort of ambient vibe from, sort of came from that, that area. Um, Dan's a big fan of um, uh, Mogwai. So, uh, and I'm personally a big fan of like, you know, ambient electronic music like Boards of Canada and BBO and, and whatnot. So, so I've had this in the back of my mind. I was like, well, this is kind of the perfect game to try and bring some of those sort of musical influences that I like in through the sound design. So sort of focusing on um, sort of this analog feel to the game. So uh, because the game was setting the sort of the, the mid 80s as well, and there was that sort of sort of gritty sort of analogue feel to everything. They, you know, almost this sort of... It wasn't... Gr not so much gritty, but um, that sort of faded feeling, you know, like, like a VHS tape that's been watched too many times and it's a little bit sort of blurred out, you know. So I wanted to get that, that feeling into the game as well. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the influences were there at the start. Um, and they sort of they grew naturally as as we progressed through the game. Um, yeah, hopefully that does make sense. Yeah. You're all right. You're all right. You're good. <laughs> so, in regards to creating this, almost I I don't really want to use the retro, but it's any word I can think of at the moment. That kind of feel to the get to the audio. Um, to the dialogue, to the ambience. You also had to use, um, you know, obviously pretty much state-of-the-art technology you next know, you're releasing for next-gen consoles, etc. Yeah. So you were allowed to use many much more modern techniques. Um, like both Adam and I are big fan of granular sound design and granular audio. So that played a large role in the creation of the sound for the Rapture. Is that correct? Would you like to talk us through that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess... Um, so, I mean, in terms of technology as well, um, the game was released, uh, run on uh, CryEngine, which was used for Crisis and, and like Crytek's big game. So, sort of visually, it looked great. And we got all the tools that came with that. So, um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with, with FMOD Designer. It's like a sort of quite old middleware for doing audio. It's, it's, it's really well used. It's well road test tested. It's been used in like Bioshock and, and you know, hundreds of games. Um, but that was kind of the main implementation tool that I had to yep. use. Um, so, you know, you had to sort of... There, was, there were a few tricks. I'm, I'm, I'll show some of the uh, implementation and, and, and the way things were set up in Y... Uh, sorry, in FMOD. Sorry, faux pas there. But, um, yeah, yeah, never mind, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, in FMOD uh, in, a, in a little bit, but... 
Um, yeah, so uh, the question was. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about granular audio. Oh yeah, so granular audio. So because the game is essentially um, like an atmospheric experience, like you want to be able to, like I, what I always like doing in, in games and doing sound design uh, is doing the ambiences in worlds where you, you you plonk the camera down and you just stand there and you just sort of drink in the atmosphere and you sort of you know you, you hear. The, the, sort of the whole world around you, and you, that's the, sort of the point of immersion for me. Um, and the, you know, it's what I like experiencing in other games, especially like games like Dark Souls, which have really great sort of atmospheric ambience in them. Um, so I sort of drew a little bit of influence from that as well. Um, and yeah, so to sort of because there's a lot of sort of space in this game. You know, it's a, it's a game about uh, sort of let, giving you time to think and process and drink in that sort of the narrative and, and, and figure out sort of all the, the story connections as you go through. So there was a lot of, there was going to be a lot of ambience in this game. And um, sort of one of the ways to sort of avoid repetition there is to break down all the sort of the ambient elements into really small chunks so, you know, you can play them back randomly in a sort of granulized way, um, which... Sort of gives a lot more variation and a lot, you know, a lot you less never repetition. Never have a true loop. Exactly. Never have a true loop. Yeah. That's yeah. That was the main yeah. thing. Um, there's never, never really having true loops. Should I, should I crack it? I can have a, you know, show yeah, some of this can, stuff in F1 go, quickly. Can, yeah, let's go through it. And because yeah, because you um, separated out the atmosphere depending on sections of the game. Yeah. So um, that's one of the lovely things about Rapture is that every area you go into feels so distinct it has its own life to it it's got its own type of breath to it um so if yeah if you could show us a few examples of yeah, like absolutely. how you went through how you built up the ambience um and how it differs from section to section yeah sure sure so so this kind of um let's see if this, this all works is this on screen Wait. there we go this is two people chatting in game so. <laughs> faff around with my laptop a bit now so <laughs> um, so yeah with the with the ambience in the game um, there was a very uh, there was the goal was to sort of tell a story as well through the sound and the progress your progress through the game so you start at dawn uh, with a lot of bird song a lot of wildlife in the world and then as you progress through the game, slowly we bring, bring in the bird song out and you're just left with the wind. And then as you progress, you know, if, as you get to, um, towards the end of the game, there's just, there's, there's pretty much nothing, you know, the, the balance of uh, this sort of atmospheric sort of droney sound design process stuff takes over from the natural sounds. Um, so this is, this is FMOD Designer, which is uh, the, the tool that, all of the sound was put together in. Um, so this is uh, what we got here. So yeah, so I broke um, I broke the wind sounds down into sort of this general uh, sort of background. So this is for dawn. This is like the background wind. If we can hear that, it's quite low. It's really low in the mix. Both there's.
So I had a couple of parameters here that are wired up in game to um, sort of fade between two different layers of wind. Um, so it, it has a sort of, sort of dynamicism to it. Um, and, it, and in the engine, it's basically just randomly picking a point on this, on this timeline and sort of cross-fading to it. So it sort of gives the effect of the wind sort of gusting and dying down. Um, and these essentially, you know, this, these, are, these are two separate wind sections here. So it's a sort of, sort of the, the higher frequency sort of side to it. And there's a lower frequency sort of gustier element as well. So sort of playing these two elements, these two layers back against each other creates sort of more, a lot more movement um, and a lot, you know, more interesting sort of variation and sort of tonal, more interesting sort of textures. And, you know, you, you get sort of a lot of variation through that as well. Um, and on top of that, we had all these... Uh, Bird songs, sort of one shots and loops that were just sort of layered in, layered in through um, placing like shapes in the editor. Um, so you could zone off an area um, and then attach these sounds to that area. So when you're standing in or near to it, the sound sort of, uh, sort of 3D fade in and fade out. Um, so you could really control the mix and blend of elements depending on where you were kind of where you were stood in the world. Um, so yeah, so it's all basically just sort of all these layers upon layers of, of different elements to create the sort of the, the final mix. Um, had some tree stuff as well. All that lovely rustling of, of leaves in the wind. So that would fade in and out. Um, yeah, and as, as you progress through, um, you know, there's a, there's a storm at one point. So in regards to this, like I'm going to say here, like I'm used to WISE, I haven't used FMOD in, in many years, so uh, going back to FMOD is a technical challenge, especially when you're, you use something as wide, for WISE. So my question to you, Adam, is what kind of sample lengths are you talking about here? Because I'm used to having kind of, you know, samples of like, so in my rain-heavy ambience layer, I'd yeah. have maybe between five and 15 five-second samples that would be constantly randomized looping through and cross-fading over a second. Um, do you have um, much longer samples than this, or does, it, does FMOD pick it up from certain places and cross-fade? So How does it work? If every 10 seconds, it will sort of fade into the next one. So it will sort of, you, you get this constant churn of, of different elements that have been sort of hand-picked. So what made you pick 10 seconds? If, 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 so all of your levels, um, 10 seconds, or do you have some at like five, some at six, so you've even got that constant shifting over the top of that, or does FMOD restrict you to...? It, it, that was specifically an FMOD restriction. Yeah. Um, everything, because I had to set the, uh, like on this column here, it says spawn time, oh. which is how it sort of picks its random sound. So yeah. I had to set it to exactly every 10 seconds. Um, so, I mean, it was, you know, in, in something like... Um, you know, wise, where yeah. you've got more control over how you play back sort of granular yeah. sounds. It makes it a lot easier, but this was just one of those sort of creative tricks that you yeah. sort of had, to, had yeah. to come up with, that sort of technical thinking. Sometimes when you're doing sound design for games, you have to come up with these um, lateral thinking problems, solutions uh, to, to implement 
sounds in the way that you want, you know, that's like 50% of the, yeah. of the battle is the implementation. Did you have much code support on this title, or were you mainly trying to do as much work as possible within FMOD and with yourself? Yeah, it was mainly, it was mainly uh, myself. Yep. Mainly myself. We only had uh, one, well, we had two coders, uh, Stu and Martin, yep. um, who were mainly working on sort of the graphical side of things and the AI side of things for the moat. And yeah, well, I'll sit back down yep. for now. <laughs> um, yeah, for those of you that um, aren't necessarily kind of um, in the industry yet and are looking into it, it's actually very common for um, code to have a big say in the engine that you use and what implementation tools you have whilst creating audio. So something like a smaller team like the Rapture, um, you are really stuck to the limitations of what the middleware can give you. Whereas if you're on a much bigger team and you're using even FMOD or WISE, um, you'll have coders that will write bespoke things to run with that. So it's very common in the industry to let everyone use this like for the Unreal Engine, everyone uses Unreal, but everyone uses it in a completely different manner. You can't pick up one set of tools from Unreal in one company and go to another because they will have so much bespoke work, and especially in regards to audio, because the audio becomes the needs of what the game requires. Yeah, there's, there's, always, there's always different ways to do things. Um, it's not necessarily right <laughs> or wrong ways, it's just many different ways. Many different ways. Hopefully this isn't getting too jargony, by the way, for people <laughs> who, who haven't used Wise or FMOD or anything, but... Um, it's just the, sort of the, the world we've, we've lived in for so long now. It's, it's, we talk in shorthand. So. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We'll, we'll Q&A at the end if there's any sort of in-depth questions. Um, yeah. So, so in terms of actually, in terms of implementing stuff, uh, CryEngine has uh, visual scripting. So it basically gives you loads of little like, nodes that you can connect together to like, perform functions. So I ended up sort of doing my own scripts and triggering a lot of this stuff myself. Um, which is what, actually one of the really cool things about a lot of modern engines is that it gives the sound designer the ability to implement yep. a lot of this stuff kind of yourself. You know, you can, if you want to hear something in a certain way, you can go in and usually script something up rather than sort of... Relying two-week wait on a code yeah, that yeah, has free time. Sort of trying to sort of flag a coder down and yeah. sort of say, oh, can you, <laughs> can you help me out just for five minutes? Yep. Or you can actually you can, you can build that yourself, you can prototype it. If it needs further work, you can ask a coder nicely. <laughs> so you managed to implement um, the atmosphere but in different sections and they do very much have their own feel to them. Did you um, change the atmosphere more depending on the location or was it? did the characters themselves have influence in the sound of the area? So, um, so on top of the sort of, the, the, the sort of world ambient sound of the wind and the, and the trees and the birds, um, there was this sort of extra layer that we, that we put in which we... Sort of called the procedural ambience or the you know, procedural audio stuff, which is basically um, it, it was all these sort of tonal elements that uh, were derived from the soundtrack. So I, I sort of took the music that, that Jess had been writing, and I sort of did a lot of sort of processing on it. I time stretched it, uh, granulized, you know, granular synthesized it, uh, bounced it onto my old four track. To make you know, make it sound really grungy and grimy, and and then sort of record it back into the computer to create all of these really sort of long uh, droney textures that could be sort of weaved throughout. 
Because, because again, because the world was so big, it was, it was trying to add an extra layer of movement and an extra sort of layer of interest that just sort of creeps in. Mm. And it was, again, this was sort of coming back to the, the, that sort of, uh, sort of musical influence of, of, of you know, the ambient music and Boards of Canada and, and whatnot, and trying to sort of create an atmosphere that progressed throughout the game using elements that were familiar. So, you know, you'd, you'd hear a music cue broken down into this sort of weird sort of soupy form and then you'd hear the full orchestrated version coming in kind of beautifully later on as you see a scene with it in or you sort of you, you hear it in the world doing this, this kind of more procedurally stuff is um is, is not new in the world of sort of uh sound design and um and especially not in music you know there's a, a big history of like music concrete and um like uh, John Cage doing sort of the random dice music and, and Mozart even. So it was sort of just drawing on those kind of principles, you know, well-established principles to uh, try something experimental. And it was, it was really good that, um, you know, because Dan and Jess are both so sort of audio-minded, they were really supportive of trying this kind of thing out. Um, you know, taking a bit of a, a, bit of a gamble on something and, and seeing where it goes. Well, the results are really very beautiful. Um, it kind of... This talk today really gets, I think, a lot of people a chance to see just how much work goes into some, a game like this, even though it can be deceptively simple on the surface when you realise the complexities of what's going under the scene. And not only that, but again, it brings into the idea of, of music, and, music and sound design and where the line is drawn. Because um, I know many sound designers don't consider themselves composers. Like, I don't consider myself a composer, even though I've written several pieces of music for video games. <laughs> I consider myself a sound designer. But we inherently do very similar things. And so when it comes to music and sound design like this, it's really nice when you can have a composer to work with so well and you understand each other that you can create yeah. something that's not quite one and not quite the other, but works in beautiful harmony together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, all, all of the um, sort of the doors that were opened for audio in this game kind of came from, you know, both Dan and Jess, who were, yeah. who were so invested in, in doing something that sounded fantastic um, and, you know, that, that was a little bit different and, and had that, that gradient of sound design you know, pure sort of, oh, this is, here is a sound effect to, to music yeah. and, and finding that, you know, just everything along the spectrum. Yeah. It's, no, it's really lovely because a lot of that stuff tends to um, get overshadowed in game development, um, especially by what we're going to talk about next, which is the dialogue. Um, uh, the dialogue, The dialogue yes. is... arguably the easiest and the hardest part of the job, <laughs> I think, in many cases... Um, the performances you got for Rapture were, were just brilliant. Um, I'd always heard it referred to as, you know, as like the Archers, and I didn't quite understand that until I, I heard the Archers recently, and I was like, oh my god, that is the Rapture. <laughs> um, the fact that you got so spot on to that kind of radio play, and when you do need those kind of performances, because you can't see the actors, you can't see yeah. their faces, you've got these beautiful um, VFX creations and you have to put so much emotion to them. You need to overplay the dialogue and you need to, almost like you would in a theatre play, um, kind of over-exaggerate things. So um, would you talk us through about you know, how you recorded the actors, how you got the performance out of them and what techniques you used? So 
that like we knew from the very beginning that the dialogue and the performance of this game were the key. Like, like in most games, your sort of your key to it is is how your how the weapon feels, how you know recoil feels, or how your movement through the world feels. But this was like the dialogue is the key. You know, this game rests on the performances of the actors. So, um, it, very early on, it was it was we were all like, well, we've got to get. Because you, traditionally, you'll, you'll sort of have actors in a booth recording their lines separately, or if you're lucky, they'll be in a booth recording them together. Um, but, I mean, games like Uncharted, and uh, but especially Uncharted, where they, they had full performance capture, they'd have the actors together on a soundstage uh, with a full motion capture suit on, you know, re- recording all their animations and dialogue at the same time. And actors are then able to act and play off of each other and and actually sort of inhabit their characters a lot more. Um, so what we did for this is we didn't do full, f- full performance capture, but we were able to get all of the actors together on a soundstage in London um, and perform each of the individual scenes like it, you know, it was a stage play. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so they had a period, like, they had a, a, a... I think it was a couple of days of rehearsal time as well, where the characters uh, got together with Dan and Kate Saxton, uh, who was the audio director... Uh, sorry, who was the, vo- the voice director on, uh, uh, from Side UK, um, who sort of helped bring these characters to life. And they were able to ask, you know, both Dan and Kate, uh, what how to play the roles or, you know, to workshops on the characters. There was a lot of changes made while the performance was, you know, while the recording was happening um, to the dialogue just to sort of fine-tune things and, and make things as natural and, and, and just, just feel as correct as possible. Um, and then from those performances, which we had... Um, so everyone had... Uh, I think they had a head mic on, so, or, or lavier mics. Um, so we got like, really clean recordings for them. We had a boom track as well. Um, so we were able to split uh, these characters out and reposition them back in the editor, back in sort of the, the engine, uh, as point sources and move them around and animate them and, and sort of... Uh, the VFX, our VFX artist, James, uh, spent a lot of time... You know, bringing those characters to life in the engine, just sort of using static models. I mean, as you can see in the, this picture here, they're sort of all red. You know, like everything's represented as these sort of orbs of light, sort of floating around the form of a character. These sort of ghostly shapes, um, which is really, you know, was, I thought it was a really ingenious way of uh, showing these characters without having to sort of fully animate them because that's really expensive, and we didn't have the team to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, so you. So we never, you, we, you would never see what these characters look like, but we wanted them to have such a strong personality and they really come through in their performances, so you'd have this mental image of, of, of you know, what Kate looked like or what Stephen would look like or what Frank would look like. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that kind of worked. <laughs> Did you have any say in um, the casting choice or the direction of the voice recordings? Uh, I, was at some, I was at some of the voice recordings. Uh, I wasn't sort of involved in the casting, but, um, you know, that was mainly Dan and Jess who, who yeah. did the casting. But, I mean, they, they, they lived and breathed the story for this game. Yep. So they knew exactly sort of who they, they needed, the kind of people they needed to portray these characters that they had 
sort of specifically in mind. Yeah. Um, I think you know, I think the casting choices were fantastic, and, and all of the actors really, really got into their characters and really got into the game. You know, they really they were like, oh, you know, this is a, this is a really different concept for a game. I, you know, I'm used to sort of going and doing Running a load off. of yeah, a load <laughs> of vocal shouts in a in a booth somewhere, but this is this is really different. So. It's almost Shakespearean in the delivery. Like you can see something like that happening at the old Vic or the Dorm or something. It's yeah, that yeah. kind of performance. So um, you said you recorded with head mics and a boom mic yeah. for the actors. Um, did you find yourself going to one more than the other for the actual performances? Uh, it was all the the head mics. Yeah. So it was um, the boom mic purely for reference. Yeah, it was for reference. It was just for kind of for safety. Yeah. And it was uh, it was also so we had. Um, so in, uh, at Sony, at Santa Monica, um, we had some Foley walkers who did all the Foley tracks. Um, and they'd sort of... Uh, the tricky part is when you can't really see any animation, it's really hard to walk Foley to. So they had to lose, use their imagination a lot as to what was going on. And we'd send rough animations back and forth yeah. that, that had been sort of tracked in-game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you've got all these, all these sort of stacked layers of, of, of things going on. Because your um, vocal performances are very dry in this. There's not yeah. much processing on them. They don't, like, especially, you know, in a cellar scene where it should be kind of... A typical game would have a, a lot of reverb on there, a lot of slapback and things, and your performances are very dry. Can you talk through your decision to do that? Yeah, uh, I think one of the big... Like, it was almost a non-decision from me to not process the, the vocals in any way because, like, there's, there's, a, there's a... It's really tricky... To do something in real time that isn't cheesy in on vocals, you know, and like we you know we tried you know put a little bit of echo on it, and it just didn't it it detracted from the performances. And what I didn't want to do is is detract from performances in any way whatsoever because you know we worked so hard, the actors had worked so hard, and the key was to get that emotional tone through. And the kind of the last thing I wanted to do was to take away or detract from the emotion through. You know that that sort of oh, it should have a, a sound effect on it because it's ghostly and spooky. You know, I didn't. That that was kind of a, a choice that everyone sort of agreed with as well. Is you know, detracting from that would would be more harm than sort of what you'd expect, really. I suppose, which is to, to process it in some ghostly way. No, I think it's a very I think they're very powerful performances. Um, they do have that wonderful radio play yes. style to it, and I think that does add so much personality to the game, and the, I do think the slight, over, arguably overacting is, is really good, especially when you don't have the visual things, but you, you do manage to, you see the characters, you yeah. see them, you can see their personality, as soon as one starts talking, you know who it is, and I think that was a very yeah, wise decision. Yeah. It, it has to carry a little bit more, like yeah. when, when you take any, any visual reference away, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the performance has to carry a bit further. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I love I love all the performers. I yeah. think they all did an incredible job. Because you also back up the vocal performances and each of the characters with the motes, and each of the characters has their own visual style, and they also have their own audio. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, if you've played the game, you'll know that there's these sort of orbs of light that, that travel around, um, that that sort of guide you from place to place. And sort of the idea was that we, that, you know, they, they all have their own little individual personality and they'd all be based on the sort of the key character in that arc. So in the village, the moat is Jeremy, who's, you know, the village, the, the vicar, who is the main sort of focal point of, of that part of the story. 
what I did uh, was to embed just little snippets of, of their VO into the moat as it travels around. What, what we also had is, it's, it's called, under, you know, it's moat Jeremy aware because when they see you, they sort of burst and they, they sort of recognize you in the game. Brilliant, well, I think that's pretty much us for time. So we're gonna move on to um, Q&A. So does anyone have any questions for Adam? Yo, uh, yeah, you kind of answered my question actually in the last uh, bit. You were talking about the moats and the vocal layers, which I think did really come across and it sounded awesome. It's one of my favorite bits in the game. Okay. Um, one of the things I felt when playing it was that they were kind of terrifying and enticing in equal measures. Right. And uh, like very kind of scary and you had the dynamic range there that when they came up really close to you, they were really loud. Uh, just wondering if like that the kind of scariness of them was something that was kind of just came out of what you experimented with the sounds or was something that you spoke about and was it intentional or um i th i th i don't know i don't know if i ever thought them as, as scary when making them um but I they were scary yeah I, but i think <laughs> no, i didn't that, know yeah. if it was just me but <laughs> i think there was the the definite sort of intention that they were you know whatever they were they were Massive, sort of kicking out so much energy and 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 weirdness that they were going to be really loud. Like it's almost like a nuclear reaction going off that's flying around. You know, it's it's something that is not supposed to be part of this reality, and yet it's here. So, like, they definitely wanted to have like weight and energy to it, and that's that probably came across as something that's that, you know, spooky. They were, but they were spooky, very unsettling. Unsettling, I thought, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, definitely, I so. there was always sort of an element of, of, of for me, of, of bringing some, some level of unease into yeah. it because it's got to sound unnatural. It's got to feel unnatural. It's got to, you know, and it's you. got to, um, they, look at they do follow. There's, there's times I've, I've, you know, when you've, I've been playing it and like you're in a house and you see sort of the moat just sort of looking around in through the window. Yeah. It's really creepy. Um, there also seemed to be quite a distinct personality between each of the different modes as well. Yeah. And was that purely from the, the different dialogue of different characters? Or was there other elements that they had that were bespoke? They all had bespoke elements. I don't know if I ended up using awareness. That might have, that might have been something that was, that was in at one point and then we sort of we took out because it was hard to sort of distinguish you know, if the modes are aware of you or not. But that was, at some point, that was in there. Any other questions? Did you compose um, the various sounds for the cores of the characters to give them like a ghostly poltergeist presence for them? Oh, um, uh, specifically which, which bit? Um, just for all of them, because um, they sound like as if um, they're kind of like ghosts in a way. I mean, just, ba just by based on how they sound. Yeah, yeah. That could be the vocal elements. Yeah, there's, there's, there is an element of, like, we wanted to get that element of them sort of being echoes of the past as well. Like, like it's, almost, it's almost something out of time as well as sort of out of reality. So, like, or like, like in, in Wendy's one, like, trying to get some of that personality in of, like, she's, you know, in, like in the sort of the fiction, she's, you know, she loves her birds, she loves bird watching, taking care of the birds in the, in the woods. So I wanted that element to feed back in there as well. Um, and, yeah, and, and like with, with Lizzie, there's some... Um, Sort of elements of her, uh, like she has this little baby moat. I don't know if anyone noticed the baby moat that flies around with, with Lizzie. Spoilers, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's, there's sort of elements of, of like a baby's heartbeat in there as well to uh, sort of just subtly sort of bring that, that, that element in. Does that, does that answer your question or not? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? Uh, gentleman at the back, if you could just wait for the microphone, please. 
Hi. Um, you mentioned that you were getting Foley and I guess music done before you had the animation finished? Uh, yeah, well, it was a sort of back and forth process okay. there. Um, because it was, it was one of those chicken and egg situations where you, because there wasn't much visually to go on, mm -hmm. we needed the Foley, and then that informed the animation a bit, and then right. that would inform the, uh, the Foley again. So we do a couple of, we, we, we do like two or three iterations on, on all the scenes. So we actually, um, we recorded the, the vocals for the game uh, very early, like, I'd say early on, about halfway through the project. So it was like September 2014 or so. So, you know, maybe, maybe nine or nine months or so, ten months before we actually finished the game. Um, so we had a lot of time with the finalised vocal performances in the game to fit things like Foley, pacing, um, you know, how everything played out with, with, with plenty of time. <laughs> Okay, uh, that was, I guess, the second part is, so did you have a method that you used all the time to sort of preview everything? Did you have a way of judging whether it was working as um, it was sort of being built, or did you just sort of... Yeah, yeah. In the game? So um, James, who did all the VFX, also animated all the characters, and uh, I think his method for doing it was to, uh, to play the scene back and, and walk around in engine as that character. Uh, and he'd do that for both characters, and then sort of tidy up the, the keyframes for that afterwards, then we'd capture that with, you know, with Fraps or the internal sort of CryEngine tool, and we'd, you, know, you, you could set a camera position up and sort of watch this play out. Um, and then you, we'd do sort of do a rough Foley pass to that, and then put that in uh, separate stems and have them walking around. And it was, it was kind of a case of going, does this have enough? Does this have enough supporting elements? And then you'd, you'd, you'd probably do an extra track of Sweetener um, you know, even towards the end of the project, I was going, oh, this scene needs an extra, uh, you know, an extra thud in it or something as someone falls over or uh, as Jeremy falls through the, you know, the banister on the stairs. You know, I was like, oh, it doesn't sound good enough. I need to put more, <laughs> more wood cracks in there or something. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was just sort of constantly adding until it felt right, really. Great, thanks. Uh, I saw on, on Twitter that you'd um, spent a bit of time mixing the game uh, in a proper facility. Yes, um, absolutely. I wondered if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we've, uh, we spent a week mixing the game uh, in uh, Sony Santa Monica's uh, headquarters uh, in LA, which was, uh, it was a really, really amazing week, actually, um, just sort of pulling all the elements of the game together. Um, and we had everything set up uh, their reference levels, which sort of matched the, the, the games they were putting out. It matched sort of film reference standards. Um, and, and being able to actually monitor and hear the game back in, you know, in, in a proper space, it just reveals so much about you know, how your game sounds. You, know, you, you go, oh, God, this, you know, this music track is just like a decibel too high, and you, know, you start pulling things back and forth. Um, the hardest thing to get right was the balance between the music and the dialogue because you never wanted one to override the other, and there were cases where the music would you know, suddenly swell and drown the dialogue out, so we had to sort of implement uh, a side-chaining system so the music would, would just very transparently and carefully just push the music back down and just a little bit, just, just tuck it underneath the dialogue tracks. Um, and it was just this sort of... We, had, we spent one entire day... <laughs> I remember we spent an entire day mixing one specific scene, which was... 
uh, in the village where you come across uh, a mobile phone that's playing uh, the doctor's sort of last message that he's recorded to himself, and it's got this sort of really sort of heavy music track underneath it that sort of kind of swells up halfway through. And like we were like, once we've cracked this, once we've got this sounding right with the right balance of all the elements, then we like everything else would roll out. And once we got that right, everything else sort of rolled through quite quite easily. But um, yeah, I was I was it was it was it was amazing to be able to mix in such you know such a nice environment and because um, it makes a huge difference. You know, you get your dy- dynamic ranges right, and it translates to you know TV speakers, it translates to headphones, it translates to all different setups a lot better than it would do. Um, so, I, you know, and it's, it's quite a quiet game as well. So then you, you can build in the things like, um, like having the, the moats suddenly you know, get really loud and really scary. Um, and, and other elements, you know, other, other big key scenes where, you know, I, I've already spoiled too much of the game today, so I won't spoil anything else, but there are the key things um, that, that are big and loud. And, um, you know, you, 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 can, you can have that impact once you've, you've made sure everything has to sit at a nice level. And functionally, like, how, how did it, um, I mean, how did it work? Did you just play through the game again and again and again and watch it yeah. and with the, what, the FMOD sessions? So, we had, so basically what I, what I did was I had uh, FMOD loaded pretty much like this, um, and we had the game up on a great big screen, and we would play through one section of the game, um, you know, I'd be making adjustments as we went along. You know, and we had um, so uh, Jess was there, uh, Keith Leary, uh, Pete, Joel, uh, Scott, and some other guys from from Sony Audio. Quite a big team. Though. We had a lot of people yeah. in in that room um, because, especially when you know, I, I was doing the hands-on stuff. Like I was I was changing values because I knew this stuff inside out because I you know, I'd pulled it all together. But other people were sort of making those judgment calls that I couldn't at that point because I've been so close yeah. to the game for so long you know I, I couldn't hear anything I could just I just it was just all noise you know <laughs> at that point um, or, and, and it's really important to have other pairs of ears that you trust as well um, because they catch things that you don't um, and it's all like anyone's you know other people's opinions are so so valuable especially when you're trying to get everything nailed down perfectly so yeah, it was a really, really busy week, um, basically just playing through each section. We, we, we took it like a section by section, and then um, like each kind of, we broke it down into story arcs basically, and did those, um, and it was slower towards the start of the week, and then suddenly like, the momentum built and built rapidly, uh, and then we spent uh, sort of the last day just going through the whole game again. Uh, from start to finish and sort of dotting the I's and crossing the T's and just making a, you know, tiny, tiny little adjustments like a decibel here and there. And uh, we also brought the whole mix up by about a decibel at the end, on the end process, because the metering came out. The game was just like, you know, a little bit too quiet, so we just pulled the whole mix up. <laughs> it was fine. I think with mixing, Thanks. it's very important to have a, a fresh pair of ears come on at the end and a pair of ears that you trust um, one of the worst things I think you can do if you're ever in the mixing stage is mix alone. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, that is a very yeah. Well, the more the more ears, the merrier. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I think that is all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening to us both, and a big congratulations and thank you to Mr. Hay. Thank you.
That was Adam Hay. Thanks also to Jessica Saunders. If you love all things audio, you should definitely check out our episode of the Guru Podcast. It's dedicated to the world of sound design in film, featuring teams behind Whiplash, an incredible film, Gravity and Captain Phillips. That's the Guru episode 14, The Sound of Success, available on iTunes and other podcast apps. I'm Rihanna Dillon. Stay tuned for more content later in the series.